This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. On today's episode of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, we're joined by Brian Driscoll, who covers Notre Dame for Irish Breakdown, as we take a deep dive into the beloved figure in South Bend that Coach Lee has become. We asked Brian about the love from the players towards Clark, but also the admiration from the Irish fan base. We also touch on his defensive scheme and his potential as a head coach at Vanderbilt. We also have a recap of the basketball loss to Richmond and a look at how the Commodores finished on National Signing Day. Stay tuned, because all that and much more is coming right up here on The Door Report. Let's ride. Welcome into another episode of The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast in Music City. We are presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or you can email the founder, Jimmy Alaco. That's jimmyalaco at comcast.net. They are located right here in Nashville, Tennessee, so it's nice and easy for the locals. You can call 615-356-0303. That's 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring, perfect floors, whatever your style. Before we get to today's breaking news and our interview with Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown, it's now time to hear a few words from Will Byram speaking on the Recycling Dudes. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they're brothers, Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in West Mead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every budget and every need, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 58. It is a Wednesday night, December 16th. Happy holiday season to all you Vanderbilt fans out there approaching Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then New Year's. You know, one of the best times of the year we are, as always, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Will Byram is my co-host per usual. Will, how you doing? We got a basketball loss today, but we still got Clark Lee as our head coach, so we're, we're still looking good. <laughs> Yeah, it's the holiday season and Christmas came a little early for Vanderbilt fans. They got a new head coach and maintained almost the entire class from the previous coach. So, um, and even picked up a couple guys. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more in detail after we, we run through the Vanderbilt Richmond, uh, I don't want to say disappointment, but disappointment, um, today. Definitely. Yeah, definitely was. And not saying Richmond is a bad team. They're really, you know, they're a top 20, top 15 team right now. Uh, but the way they started that game was was definitely unacceptable. Stackhouse talked about it uh, after the game, but we will talk more about that a little bit later. Coming up, though, later in the podcast, great interview with Brian Driscoll from Irish Illustrated. Uh, he covers Notre Dame. Uh, he's a big re- you know recruiting analyst there, but he he had some great information on Clark Lee that uh, a lot of Vanderbilt fans are gonna are gonna really like. So definitely stay tuned for that. We'll touch on the basketball loss. Uh, Vanderbilt will look forward to a game against Radford. Uh, is that Friday night or Saturday night? Will yeah, Friday night. Fri- Friday, okay, Friday night um, against Radford, uh, and then National Signing Day. National Signing Day, uh, obviously today. No, we'll it's actually Saturday. That, okay. Saturday night at seven yeah, p.m. I, I was wrong. You're right. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, it was on the script, so I, I went with it. But, uh, but yeah, we'll go. So Saturday, Vanderbilt and Richmond, uh, their next game. Richmond or Vanderbilt Radford. Why did I say? God, we're all over the place right now. Vanderbilt Radford Saturday <laughs> night. Coach Stackhouse will not be uh, on the floor coaching. 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about why. Uh, but before we get to breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. While you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and review on iTunes. And we're all still looking for sponsors. So, again, hit us up, doorreport uh, at gmail.com. That's doorreport at gmail.com. All right, we'll hop in right into it. Vanderbilt uh, hoops struggled today. Um, they lost to Richmond. Final score, 78-67. Just a really bad start to the game. I th- you know, they were down 24 at the half and um, not shooting the ball well at all. I think they're shooting 24% uh, in the first half while Richmond shot nearly 80. Um, so Richmond just shot the lights out in the first half. Blake Francis just torched us. Uh, 21 points for Richmond. He was um, he was uh, three for six from three-point range. Hit a lot of big threes. Meanwhile, on the Vanderbilt side, Scotty Pippen Jr., another big game, 25 points. Um, really kind of brought Vanderbilt back into the game late. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, Bill, but Stackhouse switched up his style and he put DeSue at the five in the second half and they were able to fight back, but it's just, you know, too little too late, really. You dig yourself a 24 point deficit in the first half against a top 25 team in Richmond. You don't think of the name Richmond as a top 25 and they're probably going to end up being a top 20 team. I mean, they're, they're really mm-hmm. impressive. I'd yeah. like to point out, I did, uh, did point out the Richmond guards that, that torched Vanderbilt yes, tonight you did. Um, in our preview. Francis. So I, I just want to get a little bit of credit there get, since I got the, the Radford. I got to give you yeah, credit for I that. I got one. the Radford date wrong for the game. So I at least redeemed okay. myself. Uh, All last right. You're podcast, good. You're good but, to go. You're good to go. <laughs> but Pippen did struggle early. He looked like he was forcing it a little bit. He does need to be the guy, but without DJ Harvey and without Cleavon Brown there, it looked like he was definitely oh. forcing the issue and, and, and struggled. But he, he did come back in the second half. The thing that continues to haunt Vanderbilt, and it's been that way since Darius Garland went down with the injury, is they don't have guys that can create their own shots in isolation situations, and then they don't have consistent shooters outside of those guys. 27% um, when you look, from three-point range. Yeah. When you, when you look at good Vanderbilt teams in the past, not even great Vanderbilt teams, just good Vanderbilt teams, they have guys that can – get in those isolation situations and score when you need a bucket and they have shooters around those guys. Someone like Matthew Fisher Davis is an example of a guy that can get open on his own or Wade Baldwin is a, is a driver that can then dish out to him. And those weren't elite level Vanderbilt teams, but they were good teams. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if the team has that with just Pippen being exclusively the only player on the court. That's really a guy that can get his own shot off. So DJ Harvey is somebody that when he comes back is going to have to step into that number two role of being able to create shots in isolation situations. Yeah, and Will, a big thing, you mentioned shooters. How about Maxwell Evans? Zero points. Zero points for Max. He only attempted one three, and he missed it. I mean, if you're Max Evans, you got to be but you got to be better. He only played 16 minutes. You know, I don't know if he's banged up or what, but, you know, playing half the minutes and zero points, definitely not the production you wanted. Tyron Lawrence went scoreless also. So I three, think it was probably it was only, just the performance of, of Jordan Wright and Trey Thomas. Yeah. Who, Trey Thomas is somebody I was texting about in, in, in our group is that is a guy that, that I kid, can see as a true freshman. He's going to be a player he's tough. right now. Yeah, he's got oh. to put on some weight, and he wears the baggy white T-shirt underneath. <laughs> he looks like, he looks it, so short, but boy, man, he, he makes he is shot. quick, and he always seems to be making that extra effort play, extra hustle play, and he's yeah. got a nice stroke. So yeah. that's something that's only going to get better with time. So he's a guy that has really impressed me, and somebody that I'd almost thought of as an afterthought in the mm-hmm. recruiting class coming in that that has definitely made an immediate impact, and I expect to make an impact over the next uh, four years. I don't know if you saw this, Will, but take a look at the box score. Only four Commodores scored. Did you see that? So 10 I points didn't for even DeSue. catch on to that. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter, and I, I honestly didn't believe it. But actually looking at the score sheet now, Scotty Pippen Jr., 25, Thomas, 15, Wright, 17, those four guys, only people that scored on Vanderbilt. So there's part of your problem. Well, you look at it, Pippen is they only had two guys shoot double digit shots, and Trey Thomas is mm-hmm. the other one in double digits. He shot 10. Pippen shot 22. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he was definitely dominant on that offensive and end as far as shot, shot attempts are concerned. A lot of it has to be to me that the, the three three of their best players are out, and, and you know they're trying to find guy, other guys to, to produce. So um, this Vanderbilt team definitely going to have to 
figure out how to put points on the board. It only had 21 at the half. Um, you know, ended up getting to 67. So second half was a lot better, uh, but def- definitely will. They got to shoot I, I don't believe really, one more thing before we move. I, I don't want to uh, say put points on the board because that hasn't really been the problem with last year's team either. It's putting points up consistently. They, yeah. they, they the once droughts, again had the one of those droughts. stretches where it was over an eight-minute drought without any points. <laughs> and that, if like, and I'm concerned, I'm not going to – damn stack house on anything that happens this year i mean it's it's a covid no, year it's yeah. only year number two you're coming off but next year if he once again has consistent offensive droughts where where it goes in waves where the you team gotta start asking hot, questions that's just not going to work and then it starts to become a concern and and what is going on with his scheme is it too much isolation play mm-hmm. is it too much of an nba style in the college game so that'll be when the question marks start being raised but this year i'm just going to attribute it to he just doesn't quite have the right guys in there that have that isolation potential and can, can get space to create their own shot. Yeah. And you talk about not damning Stackhouse. I mean, on, on a personal level, he was coaching with a heavy heart uh, prayers out to him and his family. His father passed mm-hmm. away uh, recently. So, um, you know, I, I can't imagine trying to coach, um, you know, a game with, you know, having that news in the back of your mind, he will not coach Saturday against Radford at Memorial gym. So uh, again, definitely prayers to him and his family and, and hopefully, um, you know, he can get this Vanderbilt team back on track. And I, you know, I don't even want to say back on track. They, 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 they got, they put this game, you know, into their hands and, and battled. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see what, it's not, like it was a disaster, but um, you no. know, definitely battle back and, and, and uh, Vanderbilt's going to look forward to a W against Radford. But they that noon tip off was weird, Billy. And it, it was, it seems like the clock operators weren't quite awake for it. No, they were <laughs> not. They were still, they, they didn't have their coffee. So they, uh, they were not ready for that, but uh, Vanderbilt, hopefully they got to be ready Saturday uh, against Radford because Radford's got a good team as well. And we've played them the past couple of years. So uh, Radford definitely will come in into Memorial gym and battle. Uh, and then December 30th, obviously you got Florida. So looking forward to, uh, to Stackhouse and, and the boys getting the SEC slate tipped off as we roll through here though, Will, let's, let's move into football. Quick note here on a, another transfer, uh, Randall Haney. Um, yeah, I just, you know, it, it's really ridiculous looking at the amount of guys. It, it has to be in the low thirties now since last season. I mean, it, it was at 27, um, you know, before a, a the most years. recent two. Yeah. And so, and, and, you know, who knows who else has, that hasn't announced. So, you know, I, I really don't want to try, you don't want to harp on it too much, but Randall Haney, um, obviously he was a talented player, but um, you know, it's, it's hard to blame the kid leaving the situation. It's, it's just, yeah, like, he, he know, was a, yeah, it's, you cut out there for a second, but he was, he was a productive player, but it, it's almost the, the transfers don't seem as devastating anymore. I mean, there are obviously guys that you would rather see stay. And, yeah. and that's not what I'm saying. I would rather see Randall Haney stay, but you have this new recruiting class coming in, which is, which we're about to be touching on, but he's actually ranked 29th on rivals right now. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty damn good. Just going to say, I would be happy with being the 29th best team in the country, not saying that's how it works. But, <laughs> um, and, and you've got that recruiting class coming in, you've got a new coach coming in and, and it just feels like the cupboard isn't bare but you've got a lot that he's going to be able to control and do a lot more than coming into a situation where things are kind of stagnated. Um, uh, You know, more change off an 0-9 team isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily a bad Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, 0-9, only where to go is, the only place to go is up. So, uh, Randall Randall Haney gone uh, for the Commodores, and, uh, you know, hopefully – we talked about guys leaving, you know, hopefully that number continues to not go up, but we'll, we'll continue to monitor that. And uh, let's roll into signing day here. Well, we'll uh, right before we get into Brian Driscoll, always love signing day. You know, it's, it's a fun day for, for not only, you know, your college team, but a lot of high school players that you might know. And, and, you know, we're getting that to that age where, you know, we probably got friends, you know, committing as well and signing. So uh, Vanderbilt signed 19 players to kick off the Clark Lee era. And will one note here, Javon Hay is my recruiting MVP. I mean, what he's done with that defensive line and bringing those players in, and I'm not saying these guys are going to be stars or or superstars on this D-line, but the the fact that they are going to be able to get in here and gain some chemistry with each other on that line with Tank Sujic and Marcus Bradley, um, you even had Devin Lee, and, you know, so a bunch, a bunch of other guys. I mean, a lot of the – most of this recruiting class is defense, and that's got to be a good thing, especially if you're Clark Lee. So, Will, overall impressions on the class. Well, I think it was interesting. On Rivals, they're 29th in the nation, but on 24-7, there's 47th. 
does 24 seven, are they missing a few guys or, or, you know, what's, what's going on there? There's, there's a reason there's different, uh, different uh, rating sites. So I, I don't know who yeah. to believe it. And pretty much I'd, I've always said that recruiting class rankings outside of the top 10 are pretty much useless in, in the overall grand scheme of things. Let's just all that matters that. is if yeah, all that matters is if you're in the top 10 and after that it, it's pretty steered, especially in 24 seven to blue blood programs who, when a yeah. guy commits there, their rating all of a sudden goes up. Uh, when Jack oh, committed and committed to LSU, all of a sudden he's a high four-star wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> when he was Vanderbilt, he was a three-star receiver. So yeah. I don't know if he suddenly became almost a five-star receiver after decommitting and committing to LSU, but that's just a little bit of that's getting on my world. soapbox there. It's irrelevant, but <laughs> they did. A, it, it's really impressive that they signed 22 guys from this class mm-hmm. uh, in the early signing period. And for a school like Vanderbilt, that's huge. Um, Because you're not going to have a school come in and scoop away Marcus Bradley or Quincy Skinner, Mm -hmm. which are the kind of the two prizes of this recruiting class with Uh Marcus Bradley on the defensive line being the sixth highest rated recruit in the history of Vanderbilt football since that was tracked, I believe, in 2000. I saw that, yeah. So they've only got three guys still sitting out there who haven't officially signed. Um, you got Michael Mincy, who's an inside linebacker. Uh, uh, these are all three stars. You've got CJ Taylor, a safety, a local guy from McMinnville, Tennessee. And then you've got Dylan Betts Pauly, um, who's a running back out of Alabama. So those are the only three guys remaining. And you uh-huh. also have Ramon Davis, the transfer from Temple, coming in at that running back position. And you have Junior Uzebu mm-hmm. from uh, West Virginia, who was their starting tackle there and is transferring to Vanderbilt. So that kind of wraps up the class we won't we're not going to go into individual guys all the way down the list i think 24 7 and rivals got, probably does yeah. a better job than us on that yeah robbie weinstein's got it covered man he's uh um, yep. <laughs> he, he's the recruiting uh, guru but getting into this class a little bit more will i, I like what you said about the transfers and and ramon davis and junior uzebu i think are going to make an impact because i mean you look at the running back you know core you know who knows I think Keon Henry Brooks is still going to be the guy, but who knows behind him what's going to happen. And, and, you know, you got a guy like Rocco Griffin and, and um, you know, you got some guys Mitchell back there, Pryor but yeah, Mitchell, yeah, Mitchell Pryor, but you know, no one's really proven themselves. So I think Ramon Davis is going to have a shot to, to play a lot. Um, but uh, a guy that really stands out to me, Will is, well, it's a couple guys, Tank Sujic, who we, you know, we've liked from the get go and Marcus Bradley, Marcus Bradley, um, is 6'3", about 280. He said he's upwards of 280. He's a 92 rating, four-star, according to 24-7. And this guy is, I mean, they're all over social media. This duo is going to be, I think, really fun to watch. Decommitted from Maryland, right, Will? Um, he, was, yep. he was committed to Maryland for a while. But this kid is, I think, you know, he's, he's one of those guys that will really, I think, play early. You know, I mean, we saw Davion Davis play a lot this past year and even last year, too. Um, but you know, I think there's a guy that you're going to see play a lot and, and same with tank Sujic as well. So they're going to need him on that D line and, and will you're going to see a lot of these young guys in this class play a lot next year. I think. Yeah. Vanderbilt did an incredible job of filling needs in this recruiting class. Obviously this is not the class that has a bunch of flashy receivers and, and running backs and quarterbacks with and tight ends that are going to have the tape that that you absolutely love to watch. This is this class is focused on what was needed, and that was in the trenches. You got some beef in yeah. the trenches on the defensive line, and you also had a lot of uh, safeties, so defensive backs and corners transfer out as well. And these guys aren't just going to possibly play; they they're going to have to play early. Um, yeah. with, with the guys you've seen transfer out, opt out. And then we haven't even seen the extent of the opt outs when, when the new coach actually comes in. So mm-hmm. these guys are going to be forced into the action. And that probably was the appeal for Marcus Bradley. Um, not when, when he decommitted from Maryland, committing to Vanderbilt, mm-hmm. seeing that opportunity to play in the SEC, get exposure for himself early and, and not have to sit behind, you know, four and five star guys till he's a junior uh-huh. or senior at Georgia or Alabama or LSU. So that is an appeal to recruits with a fresh start, fresh culture to buy into. And you're truly in the eyes of the coaches. There's no pre-existing system. There's no preconceived notions of guys sitting right there. It's going to be best man wins the job, whether you're a freshman or a senior. No doubt. And Clark Lee can tap into that. He knows that really well from being at Notre Dame. He, it's not like he's been snagging all these five stars out of the South. He, he's gotten the guys that he thinks will fit his system. And we'll see what he does with this class potentially. And, and that's something we talk about with Brian Driscoll coming up here shortly. But another thing, just like Clark Lee will, 
the facilities and what 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 is going to be pushed are going to be very important for a lot of these recruits because I'm sure they have been Candace Lee has been on the phone with all these guys. What is she saying to them? You know, I, you know that that's another question that they have probably asked and that she has had to give them an answer on. And that's why I think give a lot of credit to Candace Lee. I, I, you might yes. be surprised me say this, but in this class, give credit to her. She sent calls out to all these guys saying, "Hey, you know, just stick with it. We got a coach coming in." And, and we want you to stick with it. So credit to her. But we'll, I did want to touch on John Ingram. He, um, he's huge booster at Vanderbilt and very involved there at the university. He went on the George Plaster show on 560 WNSR uh, a couple of days ago. And he said, in quote, I don't think Vandy fans will be sleeping on the administration for too much longer. Early next season, early next year, Candace Lee is going to get some things done to wake them up. And I, I heard that. Um, and, and I was, I was kind of taken aback because you know, you, you hear it a lot of times, you know, a lot of the same stuff, but it's starting to sound a little bit different. I know nothing has happened, Will. I know there has not been any shovels no, I'm, into I'm the ground. I'm buying and, in, Billy. But, okay, okay. We're, we're on the same page. But I, I really like the, you know, the commitment and, and determination to continue. I mean, there's it seems like there's a statement every day, you know, from whether it's Candace Lee or John Ingram or, or people associated. You know, I'd be surprised if Tim Corbin doesn't come out and say something on the, in regard, in regards to the facilities. So, Will, that caught my eye. And, and I, I really think that, you know, this is the beginning of a new era and, and Clark Lee is, is heading it. And, and again, we'll see what happens, but the fact that John Ingram is, is coming out in the public saying that has got to speak some volumes. Yeah, you've got John Ingram, who's been him and his family have been donors to Vanderbilt for decades, the largest athletics donor yeah. um, for decades, and he's worth four point two billion dollars, and that's the jet that we tend Woo! to track during uh, coaching searches. So that, jet. that statement from him publicly was what actually final straw that's got me bought in to what Candace Lee's doing uh-huh. and, and believing it's because I've been as critical of her as anybody, and I think this will be two podcasts in a row that I've now complimented Candace Lee and said, Uh-oh. give credit where credit is due. Uh-oh. So we're kind of, she's on the uptick here. And she, <laughs> she manages to make it happen. We haven't seen, we've seen statements from the AD position at Vanderbilt before. We've seen kind of statements from administrative positions. We've never seen the chancellor, the AD, and the athletics largest donor all, all come out, page. all publicly stating that there's going to be a different atmosphere and different commitment with a new head coach coming from a prestigious program. So all the signs are pointing in a positive direction and Vanderbilt football and Vanderbilt athletics need signs pointing in a positive direction. So I'm going to buy in, we're going to buy in. And when we get Love crushed it. inevitably again, it's my <laughs> own fault. No, Hey, Hey, you know, it, it's, <laughs> I'll take the blame too, but well, I, you know, I, I'm totally with you. And I, and I think, you know, a lot of times we are on, you know, maybe not totally different, you know, spectrums, but we're kind of eating, you know, teetering closer, but um, right now I total agreement and, and John Ingram, you know, with being in his position, that's gotta be encouraging for, uh, for Vanderbilt fans everywhere. And again, we'll see when shovels are put into the ground and this is actually happening, but early next year, mark his words, uh, John will get it done and we'll see, uh, you know, if Clark Lee has everything at his disposal, but coming up next will is Brian Driscoll from Irish illustrated.com part of the, uh, publishing group for sports illustrated. And we dive into the hiring of Clark Lee with him. He, he's covered Clark Lee, uh, for the last uh, few years there at Notre Dame, at, you know, with him being the defensive coordinator there. And, and, uh, we also touch on a lot of the college football playoff, uh, there towards the end, which was fun. So, uh, Brian Driscoll coming right up. All right, as we welcome you back into the Door Report presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, we are now happy to be joined by Brian Driscoll. He is the publisher at Irish Breakdown, and the uh, that's the Notre Dame publisher at Sports Illustrated. Brian, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Just trying to uh, survive signing day while I get ready for Notre Dame to be playing in a conference championship for the first time in school history. So, yeah, kind of a busy week. Yeah, how about that? Uh, definitely excited to watch Notre Dame Clemson. Uh, should be a fun one Saturday afternoon and then tune into Florida, Alabama. So a pretty fun day of, of college football Saturday. But we got some big news in Nashville, uh, kind of from South Bend down to Nashville with uh, the defensive coordinator for the Irish, Clark Lee, accepting the job, uh, the head coaching job at Vanderbilt. And obviously with him being a Nashville native, um, you know, obviously it was kind of a no-brainer, it seems like, for him. But I do want to ask you, Brian, were you surprised he took the job at Vanderbilt when he did? 
you know, not not really, if I'm being honest, because I know I've gotten to know Clark Lee a little bit last couple of years. You know, one of the things that I've been able to do is really sit down and interview him one on one a couple of times. And, you know, last time we interviewed, we sat down for about two, two and a half hours. We were there so long that the SID just got up and left and was just like, OK, you guys, just <laughs> you know, wrap up whenever you're ready. Um, and in that time, I kind of got to know Clark Lee beyond just the football coach aspect of it mm-hmm. uh and you realize that this is a guy that is a has young kids this is a guy that values uh his role as a husband uh this is a guy that values his role as a father uh this is a guy that values family and the environment his kids are going to grow up in and he's moving to a community where uh beyond the football and the program aspect of it is he's going to have family nearby and i think that was something that was going to factor into any hesitation he might have had from a is this a place that we can build and be successful um, I think would have been put aside when you look at those kind of things. And when you know the kind of person Clark Lee is, the kind of recruits he likes to go after, he likes to take that underrated three-star player mm-hmm. and build him up. Yep. I think Vanderbilt's kind of right up your wheelhouse if that's the kind of guy, yep. uh, if that's the kind of place you want to be. No doubt. And uh, we're talking with Brian Driscoll, publisher at Irish Breakdown here on The Door Report. I, I told Will this, you know, uh, for a long time that that – Vanderbilt and Clark Lee, you know, they've kind of had that, that, you know, nonchalant connection, it seems like, you know, we, okay, we know Clark Lee's up at Notre Dame, but, you know, it's kind of now these past, you know, couple months, it's he's really been, been on the Vanderbilt radar and, and just, you know, so beloved by, by everyone there at Notre Dame. You touched on it a little bit there, but what exactly about the coach Clark Lee? We know he's a, a tremendous person, but what about him as the coach, you know, such a player's coach, what makes him so beloved uh, by those Notre Dame players? Well, I think first and foremost, you know, players recognize his intelligence. I think you can't snowball kids. You know, kid, kids are a lot smarter than some coaches want to give them credit for, and they know when you're full of it, and they know when you're the real deal. Uh, and, and he's he's been the real deal. You know, the, the players and the families I get to talk to, it's, look, he's intelligent. They know that when he says, I need you to do this, they're going to do it they, because it works. And there's a trust level there that – you know, he, he, if he tells me to do something and I go do it, then it's going to be successful. I think he creates a, a, a culture of 11 men responsible for their job, working together that they buy into. Um, and he's a guy that when, when you watch him in practice, he very rarely yells uh, at mm-hmm. players. He's demanding of them. But when he gets on them, he gets on the assistant coaches. And that creates wow. sort of a, a, an accountability to where, you know, hey, I'm not coming at you. This is on us kind of thing you know in little things like this guys like Clark Lee demands that players run from drill to drill so because he demands that players run from drill to drill the coaches have to run from drill to drill and so it's kind of like we're not going to ask you to do anything you gotta be an athletic coach (laughs) you know we're definitely gonna be in shape you don't see a lot of chunky defensive (laughs) coaches at Notre Dame that's for sure but it's the point of we're not going to ask you to make a commitment and for you to make a sacrifice and for you to buy in at a level that we as coaches aren't willing to buy into. So I think those are the things that, that get the players to buy into them. But at the end of the day, guys, you either have the chops or you don't. You can be the greatest players coach in the world, but if you don't know the game, if you can't teach, if you can't get your players to line up where they need to be and you know, know that this motion means that they're doing this and this motion means that we need to make this check and you know, like little things like he'll say, if, if the receiver's six yards outside the tackle, you know these are the only three or four options they, they're going to run based on film. Uh-huh. If he's eight yards outside the tackle, then you know these are the three or four routes they're going to run. Just little things like that. He's just a really wicked smart guy. And you just don't see Notre Dame in, in the last three years, you just don't see them getting getting beat on blown assignments. If you, get, mm-hmm. if you make a big play, it's usually because you made a great throw <laughs> and the guy made a great catch, you know, but you're just not going to see like, wow, that guy's wide open by 30 yards. You just don't see it. And, and those are the things. And I think that's where the Vanderbilt fit comes into because Notre Dame has had really smart players. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt's going to have really smart players. And, and I think it's a natural fit. Yeah. Thanks for joining us here, Brian. Um, I, you said you got, you got no Clark Lee a little, a little bit more personally interviewing him over his time at Notre Dame. This, this may be kind of an odd question, but at Vanderbilt, we've seen kind of both ends of the spectrum of introverted and extroverted coaches with Bobby <laughs> Johnson to uh, definitely more reserved, traditional, old ball, old school ball yeah. coach, uh, James Franklin, new school, and then Derek Mason, probably more towards that new school extroverted personality, but a little more in between. So where would Clark Lee kind of fall on that spectrum as far as his personality is concerned? He's going to be more like a younger version of Bobby Johnson in that regards. He's, you know, he's a very intellectual guy. 
you know, he's very, he's very, um, you know, the word that I tried to use when I interviewed him is he's, he's very, he's very thoughtful. I mean, when you mm-hmm. ask him a question, he's not just flying off at the cuff with takes his time an, yeah. an immediate reaction. It's like, okay, well, how, how do I process Not that he's got to think for the answer, but it's also about, okay, how do I want to give you this answer? And mm-hmm. it's not like he sits there for three minutes and it's just this awkward silence, but you can just <laughs> tell he's kind of measured, I think is the way that I would say he's very measured. Uh, he wants to make sure that nothing he says is taken the wrong way. He wants to make sure that, uh, you know, that, that, that he's given a message that's going to accurately portray what he wants, but also a message that he wants his players to hear because, you know, you can tell players all you want. Don't read this. Don't listen to that, but they do. So <laughs> I, I think you're going to get a guy that's very calm. I, I've literally never heard him um, shout a curse word in practice. Um, not, I mean, I, I don't care if you do or don't, but it's just, that's just who he is. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, using a curse word is not going to, you know, make a guy know that what he needs to do on third and four, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, it's, it's about, the, you know, he treats them like professionals in a lot of ways, um, but also understands their kids and that they have other obligations and things like that. And I, and I think that's something that the players, that the players respect. Yeah. So we, we got a good little breakdown of personality as far as all that's concerned, but how would you, well, we, we'll just start from the beginning. We won't even tell it. Give us a rundown of kind of Clark Lee's defensive scheme um, as if we hadn't watched we go. any Notre Dame football, even though me and Billy definitely have. <laughs> See, there's a couple things you have to understand. First of all is we could talk about what Notre Dame does, but it's not going to really be relevant, mm-hmm. if, if I'm being honest with you, because what they did at Notre Dame was not really a whole like what they did at Wake Forest. And, mm-hmm. and, and here's – so I'm, I'm a former coach. I coached in college for about seven years. And so uh, that kind of – you know, when, when Clark Lee knew that, we kind of got into some deeper conversations. And I remember one thing he said to me his first year was, you know, we were sitting in a meeting and I had to stop the meeting with the coach and say, hey, guys, stop telling me what they can't do. Let's start focusing on what they can do. And then we'll figure out what we got to do to do that. So he's not going to come in and say, hey, you know, my, my rover, why aren't you playing like Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa? You know, I, I need you to play like, you know, Kyle Hamilton. Why aren't you playing like Kyle Hamilton? That's not who Clark Lee is. So, you know, they're going to be a 4-2-5 defense. Uh, the base of the defense is going to be stopping the run. It is going to be very assignment sound. It's going to be aggressive, but not unsound. I think that is a mistake that a lot of coaches made. I remember when John Tenuta got hired at Notre Dame back in 07, I, I, I just, I was losing it because they were like, when he ranks in the top 25 every year. And I'm like, yeah, because one game he'll give up 120 yards and the next game he'll uh-huh. give up 550 yards. And you add those two games together and he ranks in the top 25. With Notre Dame, it's just a level of consistency that it gets. And it's because, you know, it, there's going to be complexity to what he does, but it's always going to be complexity within, you know, what the players can do. And you look at how he uses his current uh, cornerbacks, for example. Well, two years ago, Notre Dame had arguably the best cornerback tandem in the country in Julian Love and Troy Pride. Mm-hmm. This year, they don't. And so this year, he's not leaving them on an island like he did two years ago. They've uh-huh. completely altered their coverage structure where he's protecting the corners more because he knows I don't have guys that can just go on an island and run a 4-3 like Troy Pride could, and they can just make up for mistakes. And so... He uses them that way, how he uses his inside linebackers. He's more aggressive with his linebackers this year than he was in 2018 when they went undefeated because in 2018, Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney were more of, you know, uh, read and flow kind of guys. They weren't necessarily run stunt guys. They were, let me read it out and then I'll attack. And so he used them. And now this group you know, with, with Drew White and Shane Simon and Jeremiah Wusu, they're really athletic guys that are at their best when they're just flying downhill. So you see Notre Dame doing more run stunts and doing more blitzes with the, with the linebackers because what Clark Lee has done is this is what they – here's my starting Mike linebacker. What does he do well? And we're going to make sure that we're running a defense that he does well. If I have big corners that can't, you know, play man all game, then we're not going to play man. If I have corners that can play man and that gives me freedom to do things with my safeties, then I'll do that. So, you know, we, I could give you specifics, but what I'm telling you is if you look at the defense in 2018, it doesn't look a whole lot like the defense in 2020 mm-hmm. because the personnel is so much different. And that's what I think makes Clark Lee such a good coach because he's going to take what he has and say, how do we put these players within the structure of who we are, 4-2-5, you know, using the safeties, alley players, making sure we're stopping the run, limiting big plays. How can we alter that? to make sure it's going to fit the players that we have. Because he's yeah. not going to have Jeremiah Wusu and Kyle Hamilton next year. Nope. He's not going to have Adi Ogundiji and Dalen Hayes next year. So he's going to adapt to that. Yeah, and, and it, you're exactly right there with the skill set. And and what I love about this Notre Dame defense is the rover position. I mean, they have had mm-hmm. two guys these past 
you know, couple years with not only you know, Usu Kormoa this year, but also Drew Tranquil. Uh, mm-hmm. Was that a couple years ago, right? Um, that was, actually, uh, Drew Tranquil was a rover in 2017. Okay, 2017. And then moved okay. to Buck in 2018. So he actually started at both positions, and he had ten okay. and a, he had ten and a half tackles for loss in 2017 as the rover. Yeah. What? Yeah. So what I'm getting at is is it seems like Clark Lee has really kind of identified that guy who you know I don't know if, if Wu is the leader of the defense, but he seems like he is the way he's been playing this year, and especially with what Drew Tranquil did in 2017 and then 18 at the buck he kind of finds that guy to fit that role and I'm not saying he's going to find that at Vanderbilt but is do you think that's kind of a strength of his of finding that guy to to play that rover or that buck and, and say hey you know here's what you're going to do or is it more of he's just so smart he, he's going to find a way to have success with that defense well if you watch how he used Drew Tranquil it was completely different than how he used Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa because mm-hmm. Drew Tranquil was essentially like a third linebacker you know, he was, uh-huh. and he's, look, he's playing inside linebacker in the NFL when he's not hurt. I think he was a third round NFL draft, third or fourth round NFL mm-hmm. draft pick. And, and he played buck the next year. And, and, you know, there's a reason for that because he was better closer to the line. So back then it was, okay, we're going to have a safety over top to kind of protect the big, the, the deep ball. Drew Tranquil was a attack the run game, attack the perimeter screens, attack downhill, be sound, be smart, cover tight ends, cover the quick game and those kind of things where Jeremiah Wusu was a physical freak. And so it's, okay, we're going to allow him to play a lot more in space. We're going to use him as a blitzer off the edge. So, uh, again, I'm not trying to be dodgy here with you guys, but it's a very important position in this mm-hmm. defense. You can't be good in this defense without a good rover. Uh, but then I would say, but in 2018, they didn't really have a good rover. Mm-hmm. So they did a lot more nickel. They had Asmar Bilal. He just wasn't comfortable there. So they did a lot more nickel that year. They did a lot of things. We had Sean Crawford, who's now starting a safety playing, um, you know, some nickel that season, or actually that would be the, the season before. And, and so uh, again, he's going to adapt, but that position is so important. I mean, if you go back and look at Wake Forest in 2016, when he was at Wake Forest with Mike Elko, you know, they had Thomas Brown who had eight and a half tackles for loss that mm-hmm. season. The, the number two Rover that season had three or four tackles for loss. I think if you add it up, they had about 12 or 13 tackles for loss out of the Rover position in 2016. So when it's at its best, it's a very disruptive position. But the, the point I'm trying to make is, He's had success at that position with two completely different players, Andrew Tranquil and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, which goes back to my original point is, is he's going to find a guy that fits that position and then build around what that guy can do. Ideally, he'd like a long, rangy, former safety, and Jeremiah Wusu was a safety in high school. Drew Tranquil started his career at Notre Dame at safety, uh, 6'1 or, and, or taller. But length for when you talk to Clark Lee, he's not going to care as much about height he likes length. Mm-hmm. If you're six foot, but you got a six foot five person's wingspan, you're long. That's what he yeah. wants at that position. And if you're, and that's where Drew Tranquil wasn't necessarily an ideal rover because Drew Tranquil was about six, two and a half, but he had mm-hmm. short arms. So that's why they eventually uh-huh. moved him back inside. So he wants a really long rangy player that can cover. Ideally, they use Jeremiah Wusu a lot more in coverage than they did Drew Tranquil because he can do it. Uh-huh. And uh, it's a very important position. It's probably the most that position, and then the viper or the drop in, are the two most diverse positions in the defense. They're the two most important positions in the defense, in my opinion. Yeah, boy, Wizard Cormo, just a monster, uh, just an absolute monster there on Notre Dame's defense. I want to go back into Clark Lee and, and kind of you know we talked touched on his attributes a little bit, you know, and why he's been so successful as as a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. But he's going to be coaching a Vanderbilt team that lost 27 over 27 guys now uh, from their roster since last season and whether that's you know COVID opt-outs transfer portal whatever so you know looking at fast forwarding to Clark Lee the head coach Brian do you think he has the attributes to take Vanderbilt to the level of potentially a Northwestern with um, with Pat Fitzgerald or you know a level of David Shaw at Stanford where he stays there solidifies a culture and is able to put Vanderbilt in the direction they want to go. Do you think he has what he takes for that? Look, you never really know until a guy does it, but what Mm -hmm. I believe makes a successful head coach, I believe Clark Lee has those attributes. Obviously there's intelligence and those kind of things. I I think that his, uh, his communication is very good. I think that's important for head coach. You know, he's not a guy like Notre Dame's defensive line coach. Mike Elson has like the defensive lineman over his house constantly. You know, he's got three daughters. It's like they're a part of his family. You know, the players are. Mm-hmm. That's not really Clark Lee's thing. His more thing is, you know, we're, we're a family here at the office, you know, at, at, at the football mm-hmm. field. But the players know that, that he he cares about them. And, and 
you know, I think that's an important thing. But I, I think the biggest thing, guys, is to be a successful head coach, you got to know how to set a culture. You've got to know how to establish and build a culture. And and a lot of people will talk about culture is the same as identity. Identity equals whatever you do schematically. And and people have said, well, you know, what what do you think is the right defense to run? And I'm like, whatever the best coach wants to run. I mean, and really, it's you can be a great three four team, a great four three team, a great four two five team. You can be a great three three five stack team. It, but you got to know how to execute it. You got to know how to run it. You got to you got to be able to recruit to it. But that's not really what makes you successful because we see successes and failures with all those types of schemes. It's about creating a culture. A culture is more about accountability. It's about how you go about your business every day. It's about little things like, you know, if you're in a classroom, not having a hat on, you know, there's just a level of a lot of people outside may not think that's a big deal, but it's creating a, a level of accountability and everything you do has to be important. Young people, I was this way when I was a coach and it was one of the things I had to fight the hardest against when I, when, or it was, I was this way when I was a player and it's something I fought against when I was a coach is you think, well, I don't have to pay as much. I don't like school as much as I like football. So I'm not going to put as much effort into school as I do football. And what I learned is you can't turn that switch on and off because you're going to end up falling short in the part you care about. You have to be disciplined and diligent and accountable in everything that you do. That's culture. Running a four, two, five, isn't culture. That's a scheme. Right. And I think Clark Lee did a masterful job of creating a culture. And I think he learned under some good coaches that got him to that point. I think the time under Mike Elko was a big, a big part of that mm -hmm. under Scott Schaefer at Syracuse. who I think, you know, had some, some attributes that I think he learned from. So, uh, you know, and then of course being in a place like Notre Dame and Wake Forest where they're high academic institutions, I think also helped him realize that that's a fit for him those kind of kids are, are better fits for him than like, let's say a, a Mississippi state, you know, where you're just you're good school. You can win there with the right coach, but it's a different type of kid. Mm -hmm. You know, Vanderbilt and Mississippi state aren't going to be battling for the same kid a whole lot, you know, nope. just like Notre Dame doesn't, you know, recruit against Alabama a whole lot. And, and there are certain schools in Notre Dame doesn't recruit against a whole lot. And, and I think those are the things that, that you have to do to be successful. Look, my first year of coaching, I had a, a chance for two years. That was when Urban Meyer was at Bowling Green. And I had a chance to be around that staff. And Dan Mullen was on that staff. Obviously, Urban Meyer's head coach. And you realized it, when I was around them in the spring and the summer, just learning as much as I could, it wasn't about the schemes. It wasn't about X's and O's. It was about holding players to a standard every single day. And, and you live up to that standard regardless of the results. And that's how you end up becoming successful. And I see a lot of that in Clark Lee. And that's why I think, you know, I, I, again, I'm not a betting guy. I don't know if he will or won't be successful, but that was what makes me think he's got a chance to be successful to place like Vanderbilt because he understands how important it is to create a culture and what goes into being a successful culture. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the future for Clark Lee and, and his the future success of his teams, but there still are games this season to be played. And Notre Dame's got a couple big ones possibly coming up. They have the ACC mm. championship, and not only that, but a possible run at a national championship. Are, are you concerned at all that this news of Clark Lee accepting this head coaching role um, may be a distraction for Notre, Notre Dame on that title run? Certainly. I mean, look, players are human, right? I mean, they, they understand, look, look, this is our last hurrah, you know, and there's, there's two ways they can go about it. One is to, to say, Hey, look, this is our last two games together as a team. Let's, you know, or, or hopefully three games together as a team. Uh, let's, let's, let's put all that stuff aside and, and, and focus on it. That's what they'll say. But I mean, they also understand, well, Hey, what if, who's going to be our next defensive coordinator, especially the younger guys and Notre Dame's going to have a decent amount of players coming back next year. Who's going to be our coach next year. We got to make sure, you know, that so-and-so is our position coach. And let's think about that. And let's think about this because there's also, there's nothing else going on. They don't have school, mm -hmm. right? They're out of school. There's, I mean, that's all, I mean, when they're not in football practice or in meetings, what are they talking about? What are they thinking about? And so, yeah, I am concerned that it's going to be a distraction. I think Notre Dame is going to do things to try to make it not a distraction, but it, it's going to be now, whether or not it's a distraction to the point where it affects their play on Saturday, that I don't know, but I certainly think it's something that, that is distracting them from uh, the, the mission at hand. Well, another potential distraction, you know, I think potentially Brian could be, you know, I think this is somewhat unlikely, but some Notre Dame assistants potentially following Clark to Vanderbilt. What are the chances that, you know, any Notre Dame assistants, assistants follow him to, to Nashville? I think there's certainly a chance of Terry Joseph, for example, is someone that I know that Clark Lee has a, a very good relationship with. They work well together. He, he made uh, Terry Joseph his pass game coordinator the last two seasons. And, you know, if you guys dig into the stats, you'll realize that, that, 
Notre Dame's run defense kind of just got good in the last 16 or 17 games. Their mm-hmm. pass defense has been outstanding the entire time that, that he's been here uh, for the you know the game here, game there. But, I mean, you just look at what they did to North Carolina a couple weeks ago, you know, where North Carolina came in averaging like 350 passing yards a game. Notre Dame held them to 298 total yards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they have a good relationship. Now, I, I also believe, talking to some sources, that Terry Joseph is, would like the Notre Dame defensive coordinator job. So mm-hmm. obviously that'll be something that he would push for. But if he doesn't get it, yeah, I could certainly see a scenario in which he follows Clark Lee to Vanderbilt. Uh, I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm not breaking news or anything like that. But I, based on what I know of their relationship, I certainly think that's an option uh, of him going. Do I think a lot of coaches would leave? No, because they would have to take pay cuts in most instances to go from uh, Notre Dame to Vanderbilt, but uh, I certainly could see at least one or two coaches thinking strongly about following him down to Vanderbilt. All right, I got one more here to wrap it up. Obviously, with Notre Dame and Clemson, the rematch happening Saturday, I got to get your take on that one because I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch. Obviously, Clemson play with Trevor Lawrence back, but there's going to be a lot on the shoulders of that Notre Dame defense trying to stop him. And, and, you know, they they showed they could beat a guy in in DJ, you know, Uyagalele at Clemson, but now they got the starter back. What do you think happens uh, Saturday afternoon between Notre Dame and Clemson? You know, it's kind of funny. Everybody talks about how difficult it's going to be to stop the Clemson offense, and it will. I mean, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence is the best player in college football. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's any debate for me personally. But, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is Clemson scored more points in regulation against DJ Ungalele than they did against uh, with him at quarterback than they did in 2018 in the semifinal game against yeah. Notre Dame. They scored 30. Uh, and, and 14 of those happened in two minutes when Julian Love, their All-American cornerback, was on the sideline. Mm-hmm. You know, Clemson scored 33 points against Notre Dame at Notre Dame this time. So uh, it was a challenge then. It'll be a challenge now. I think that for Notre Dame, it's going to have to be exactly the same recipe that it was last time. You have to dominate in the trenches. You can't just, you know, slightly win the battle in the trenches. You have to dominate in the trenches because if this becomes a battle of athlete versus athlete, when you look at, you know, as well as Ian Book has played the last month, he's not Trevor Lawrence, with all due respect. He's just not Trevor Lawrence. And so if this comes down to our skill players are better than your skill players, I don't know if that's a battle that Notre Dame wants to win uh, or if they can win. Now, it could be close that way. This game has to be about the trenches, and Notre Dame has to dominate in the trenches the same way they did November 7th, uh, and, and they have to make the kind of big-time plays on defense. And you know, Jeremiah Wusu made a couple big mistakes in that game, but he also made a couple huge plays in that game. And they're going to have to have that kind of Herculean effort from guys like him and Kyle Hamilton and Dalen Hayes and players like that. Again, when to win games like this, guys, your stars have to play like stars. And and Trevor Lawrence is going to play like a star. Travis Etienne is not going to get held at 28 yards on 18 carries again. Right. <laughs> uh you know, and, and Amari Rogers is going to play like a star. James Skowski is going to be on fire. Tyler Davis wants to make a big name. So so they're, they're going to be at their best, and, and we've seen it the last five years. Clemson is at its best in the biggest moments. Now Notre Dame has to rise to the occasion, and they need Ian Book and Javon McKinley and Kyron Williams and Dalen Hayes and the, all the – Kyle Hamilton, all those players, they have to play like stars. You, you've been that way all year. Now when the lights are the brightest, you got to do it again, and then you need to win the battle in the trenches. Can they do it? Sure. Will they do it? It's tough sledding to beat Clemson twice, guys. I mean, not a lot of teams (laughs) can do it once. And now you're asking Notre Dame to do it twice. Um, You know, it's just really, I think what a lot of Notre Dame fans are hoping for is just have it be a good game. You know, just go down to the end. Just don't get routed. Just, I think that's the thing where it would kind of take some of the luster off of the November 7th game. But if it's similar to the way it was on November 7th and this time Clemson wins it, I think Notre Dame fans will take that and feel really good about going to the playoff with a chance to beat somebody. And I think they're going to hope that they can get a rematch against Clemson for round three instead of having to play Bama in round one. Yeah, no doubt. A lot of a lot of college football playoff scenarios going around, uh, especially oh, if yeah. Notre Dame ends up getting routed, as you mentioned. So Irish fans definitely, uh, you know, on their heels in this one. But you got Notre Dame, Clemson. Saturday I think afternoon. they're in, though. I yeah, think they're in. I agree. I just, I think no the only what? two teams that are that I do, I do, because you say like say somebody, well, what if they get blown out by Clemson? Okay, is that any worse than than Texas A&M getting mm-hmm. blown out by Alabama? And then you look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame would still have a win over the number two team in the country. They still have a win over the number fifteen team on the country on yeah. the road by two touchdowns. Yeah, which is why that Miami win over or that UNC win over Miami was so important for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And then Notre Dame would still have two more wins than Texas A&M. A&M would be eight and one with a blowout loss to the number one team. Notre Dame, who they didn't beat, Notre Dame would be 10 and one with a blowout loss of the number two team who they mm-hmm. beat. So under no circumstance, do I think that wasn't the case last week. 
Yeah, when Florida lost, that's that's when it became a. Yeah, Florida. Are you telling me they're going to put a? Yeah, are they going to put the shoe? Who throws a shoe? Honestly, Um, (laughs) you know, a Dan Mullen coach player. That's who that. Are you guys? I mean, am I to believe that eight and one A and M, who barely beat Vanderbilt and barely beat you know all these teams, is going to get in over a ten and one Notre Dame team, or or an eight and two, nine and two Iowa State who has a seventeen point loss to Louisiana? Is going to get in over Notre Dame? No. The only two teams that, that have any concern of getting knocked out are Ohio State and Clemson. If they yeah. lose, they're out. Most and likely. I, I mean, I'm even hearing that Clemson, if they if they lose, they could still get in. I'm hearing that a lot. If it's and a I, close game. If it's I, a close game. I don't know. I, losing twice, that to me, that, that yeah, shouldn't, you know. But I, I think Texas here, – here's the way I look at it. I think that, that we have to come to grips as a sports media with the fact that the committee does not look at this like the AP. It's yeah. not a overreaction to what happened this past week. It's still about we're looking at what you are this entire season. And when you look at Clemson, they lost twice to the number two team in the country in two close games. Mm-hmm. Are you going to put Texas A&M, who against a, a similar caliber team, got destroyed, and their next best win is what? you know? I mean, their, their top win is Florida, who's going to be out of the top ten next week. Their next best win is what, Auburn? <laughs> you know, and, and, and so you look at Clemson and say, are they still one of the four best teams or not? And, and this has been such a weird year with games being canceled. If Texas A&M was 10 and one, we'd be having a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. But, but they're not. And the SEC West is down. I mean, it just, it is the SEC West is down this year. A win over LSU doesn't mean a whole lot this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, I do think they could get in. I, I think it's going to create a lot of problems, but I mean, who are you going to put in? I mean, you're really going to, do you really want to see a Texas A&M Alabama rematch in round one of the college football playoff? No, I don't no. think so. It, it, you know, so and I, and I really don't want to see Notre Dame Clemson part three. You know, I don't I either. <laughs> I don't either. And that's why I think they would drop Clemson down. I think the, I think the way they would set it up in my opinion is they would have Alabama Clemson in round one and Notre Dame Ohio state in round one. Mm-hmm. That way, if yeah. you're going to get a rematch, they both have to beat somebody. Yeah. yeah. Because that, if Al- if Notre Dame beats Ohio State and Clemson beats Alabama, then clearly Notre Dame and Clemson are the two best teams in the country. Yeah. And they just happen to be in the same league. It is what it is. Right. And knowing yeah, knowing the college football playoff, I don't think they would put Clemson and Notre Dame part three, and I don't think they would put AM and Alabama again. So we'll have to see. We're in out of time here, Brian. Again, I think we could talk for a lot longer. I uh, got a lot of Clark Lee talking, a lot of college football playoff. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck with the rest of your signing day cover. Good luck with covering Notre Dame Clemson and, uh, you know, hopefully the Irish are, uh, are definitely, you know, able to get that win and get into the playoffs smoothly. Thanks for having me on guys.